Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Well, welcome to another episode of According to Flint, heading back to the Western lifestyle and one of our favorite cowboys of all time. And you know he's a cowboy because he's got an elk, a pair of shaps, a bear hide, and a bunch of weights in the background. He's a five-time world champion bareback rider. He His most recent crowned world champion in December at the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. He's a future Hall of Famer. I'm doing that. I'm going out on a limb. He's Stephanie's husband. He's Veronica and Louie's boy. It's the one and only Casey Field. You got to give all the, the good credentials, you know. <laughs> it definitely helps, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I should have said all three of your kids' names that you're yeah. there. That, so give them to me. <laughs> we Go. got Chamberlain, Huxon, and Remington. Chamberlain, yeah. Huxon, and Remington. All right. Well, how eight, are how, how how old are they? Eight, five, and two. <sighs> yeah, I know. Um, that changes things a bit, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love being a dad. It's probably my favorite thing to do. Uh, hang out with my kids and just go on adventures with them. But uh, in the whole life perspective. I had to pretty much learn how to rodeo again when I started having kids. Not only rodeo them, but learn to ride too. It's weird how they affect you. <laughs> yeah, I have. I asked somebody else this, and I don't remember who it was. Um, might have been Tyson Durfee. It can go. I, I bring it up a lot with people having kids. It can go either way. I've seen it where guys automatically ride better or perform better because it kind of puts everything in perspective and i've seen it work the other way where guys ride worse because they feel this pressure to feed their family and everybody's depending on me uh do you, did it tend either way for you what do you think i do i the first one i don't think was anything uh you know there's a period in my life right there that you know, I don't know. I was unstoppable and it was just another addition to my, to my happiness, you know, seeing my wife give birth and then having my a, a little daughter, it was amazing. And then Hux came along and he's a little boy and it was fun. He's a baby. And about the time he got to a year old, well, probably about two years old, he started kind of pushing mama's buttons. Um, Two kids for mom when I was gone was pretty hard. So it put in a little bit of added pressure to me and Steph's relationship. Um, and then a third one, adding that to the mix. And she is by far, she's the baby. She's the third child. And you can tell that right off the bat. But, you know, all of that going into to playing into my life. Yeah, it, it, it adds a little bit more to my writing. And it, it means a little more when I nod my head. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I was explaining this to my wife the other day. I'm not scared of dying. I'm not scared of getting kicked in the head again and, and walking away from it or getting buried in an avalanche snowmobiling or getting attacked by a bear. Uh, that's, I, I'm not scared of that, but I'm, I'm scared to leave my family. I don't, I do not want to leave my family behind. That's something that scares me. That, that's something that, uh, 
you know, my dad was my very best friend. He was, and that's something else that played into my writing too, along with my kids all happening really fast, young family, and then losing my dad, who was my best friend, pretty much my coach in my writing. Um, all of that played into my writing. And that's where, like, I went from 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 was kind of a hard year. I lost my, he got sick in 15. And then in 16, we, we lost my dad and Huxton was about two years old. So there's a whole bunch that played into effect in my riding from 16, 17, 18, where I just was getting to the rodeo and going through the motions. I wasn't enjoying life. I wasn't enjoying, you know, going and seeing my friends. I wasn't bareback riding hurt. I didn't want to go get on. And all of that, uh, you know, how you asked me if it added pressure to my riding. I think it, and subconsciously it did but you know at looking at it from my eyes it was just another another challenge to put myself up against and uh i think that's how i took it that you know during those years you talk about and i knew that you were having kids and then your dad who meant so much to all of us and i'll talk about him more but and then you kind of battled, you had a bad hip, you had some injuries, you had a, a head injury kind of a little later than that. But, you know, there was a time in my head knowing you, uh, you know, I, I feel like I know you as well as I know any guys out there. There was a time I went, I wonder if we'll even see Casey again. I mean, not, I knew I'd see again, but out rodeoing is hard. Is his string of world titles over? Everybody talked about you winning, you know, that five, five world titles, that magic number, maybe get to six. In my head, I thought, I don't know. If he chooses to stay home, more power to the guy. Is that in the back of your head? Did it go, mm, maybe I'm done? Yeah, you know, um, Shoot, it was 2000, uh, after the finals of 2019, you know, I, I sat back and was looking at everything in my life and was wondering about retirement. And I never mentioned it to anybody or anything like that. And um, Talked to Steph maybe once or twice about retirement and what I had in mind. And then I talked to Tilden, who's a really, really close friend of mine, my traveling partner. And I was like, man, I don't know. I'll probably be done after 2020 i just i don't know everything that's going on my, with my life with horses at home family at home business at home there's so much opportunity right now for life after rodeo and it, i'm still young and i'm still you know a hustler and and can hustle and i want to mm -hmm. hustle while i'm young and you know i i took it for granted those years when i was just I'd go to the rodeo and smile and wave and get off and was 90 points. And it, it was like, how in the hell did that happen? I was like, well, I don't know. I just did it. You know, that's kind of how it was there for a while. And, and then I, I couldn't, I didn't have the motivation. I don't know. I, you know, 18, 19 preparing for the NFR, no one trained as hard as me. No one dreamed it as much as me, but just things weren't clicking. I was forcing it. I was, I was, there were so many things that I was trying to do that were just, you know, to, for myself, it was unattainable. And I, if I think, you know, too, I try to think of the things that are, you, that people can't do that people look, think and look at their goals and automatically I can't do that, you know? And, and I was setting my goals so high and putting so much stress on my mental body and my physical body that 
I'd get to the rodeo and that's how I'd ride. I'd look like a machine, look like I was forcing it. Uh, I couldn't flow with horses. I couldn't win on every horse. You know, when I was real young, my dad told me, don't, don't let the draw determine your, if you're going to win or lose, you're going to get the draw two weeks before you get to the rodeo. Not everybody rides horses like you. You can win on different horses than everybody else. Somebody that's going to be 80 points, you're going to be 85 points on that horse. So just remember that, just get to the rodeo and try every time. And I wasn't doing that. I'd get to the rodeo and I'd see the draw and be like, Oh, I'm going to win fourth place. Cause that's what everybody else does. And then, you know, after, you know, the American success that I've had down there last year, business power pros doing good. Um, we've been trying to build a house for four years. Finally <laughs> had two, two years where I was injury free to financially do that. And, you know, last year was it COVID I, I, when it hit, I, I write my goals down weekly. I, I, every rodeo I want to win, I want to win it and cross it off my to-do list. And, you know, it was like, I could do no wrong again. I was like, man, here we go. This is, this is what I want to do. This is me crossing off my to-do list. Uh, COVID hit my, my, my goals and everything were going out the window. They were canceling rodeos. I was like, man, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to win Calgary. Two weeks later, I've been working. I had motivation to go in Calgary. Calgary cancels. And I promise you, I don't drink that often. I was drinking a lot of beer there for about a month. I was getting frustrated and my goals weren't achievable. (laughs) And it was frustrating. It was out of my hands. And then being home with my family, going camping with my buddies from high school, getting to be there for my brother through his plane crash and through everything that he's going through my mom selling the place that we grew up in. I was home all of last year. COVID-19 was a damn good thing for me. And I learned it there for a little while. It was hard for me to understand why, Mm -hmm. but looking back on it, God had a plan for me. And I promise you all of last year leading into the NFR, getting to the NFR, everything that was happening there. And it was a whirlwind. There was things going on with Hux and Steph that were scary. And it was just, I'd get in the chute. I could hear the conversations on the back of the chute. I could see that horse's ears twitching. And then, you know, it's just a, it's crazy how every part of life plays into every eight seconds of my ride. And that's, it's finally, everything's clicking again. Good stuff, Case. Thanks for coming. I mean, that's, <laughs> might have been the best explanation of things I've ever heard. I uh, Good stuff. I, I want to circle. Hey, I uh, face for radio. I don't have the face, but I may have the voice. <laughs> you have the wherewithal. That's what I have <laughs> I want to go back to something and, and pick a couple things apart that you said, because I deal with this. You know, I, I, I go watch rodeos. I watch the NFR real close every night. Uh, and PBR, it, you really touched on something that I we deal with in the PBR a lot. And I think you can relate. There's There's been guys, bull riders in the history of bull riding that I, I, I'll name three. Uh, and there's more. Uh, Chris Shivers. Remember Shivers? J.B. Mooney, who's still around. And now Jess Lockwood. That's kind of three, in a sense, three generations of bull riders through my career. They were the kind of guys that fans, now they say it about Lockwood. 
Oh, yeah, the judges have decided Lockwood's going to win. Such and such was 85 on that bull yesterday. He's 88 today. They're obviously gifting him. You just talked about what your dad said. You can win on horses that most people can't. I do it at the NFR. People say, well, I see they decided Casey Field's going to win this week. No. And I have said, no, horses perform better and he makes them look better under Casey field. There can be more points. Jess Lockwood's that way. It's a real thing. It is a judged event and you can get the most of that animal and more out of that animal. Can't you? I'm talking in general, bareback riding, bull riding. It's possible. It's very possible. It really is. And especially, you know, the bull riding, I can't really relate to that as much, but, but Jess Lockwood, Chris Shivers, you know, those guys that you mentioned, JB, them guys have been horseback majority of their life. So they they can feel the the, the bull or the horse's shoulders. And w- when they take a right step, you could close their – I can guarantee you could ask them guys, if they close their eyes, tell me what horse – what foot is going to hit the ground next, and they could tell you. And and same, you know, they can, they can feel so much more underneath them. But two – you know, Jess Lockwood, you know, the guys that you mentioned, Chris Shivers, you know, I hate to say, I hate when judges say, oh, or, or even people say, oh, they're, they're gifting him. You know, I've been screwed a lot too, but it's, it's what it is. It's the sport of rodeo. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I had a great conversation with Tilden the night before he won the American the other day. And I was telling him, I said, Tilden, it doesn't matter what you do in life. Every time you see those judges or every time you are in front of them, make a difference. Make, you know, be a positive mindset because you can't tell me in a person's life or, you know, when you when you leave a conversation, you can leave it positive or negative. And so if you leave those judges last last time they seen you and you were a dick to them, Mm. guess what? Next time they see you. And they're sitting out there in the arena. Man, he hit that horse low. Should I dock him two points or one point? Well, shit. They're going to probably only dock the nice guy one point and the asshole two points. That's a good point. It's legitimate. It's the old, I've said it forever. My dad always said, careful of whose toes you step on. They might be connected to the ass you have to kiss someday. But it's <laughs> it's creating... It. <laughs> I don't know. I bring the good stuff. It's creating a, a subconscious with those guys and how you treat them, right? Oh yeah, heck yeah, it is. And yeah, I, I'm a human, and if someone you know disrespects me, I'm probably not going to mark them as good. I hate to say it, <laughs> but you know, I probably not. And that's why I don't judge too. I've been asked to judge some events, but there's some assholes out there. I don't want to be the guy. <laughs> looks like I'm screwing them. <laughs> um, what a uh, and but back to what you were saying yeah, yeah. yeah those guys and myself and there's a handful of guys clayton bigelow can do it really well too is make horses buck and it's horsemanship it really is horsemanship and you know it it starts from when you mark them out to the first jump and, and getting their shoulders up off the ground and filling them and, and helping those horses along and there's horses that man you really got to spur harder to keep them bucking but there's also some that you got to reward and, and kind of tickle them rather than spur them to keep them bucking through the eight seconds. Man, that's good stuff. That's yeah. Horsemanship. When you, I, I never thought of that shivers, JB Jet Lockwood. They're not, they were 
aren't and weren't just bull riders. They're cowboys. They spend all that yeah. time on a horse. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, it it does help. Um, when I I've got to get horseback several times a week, or it starts to show in my riding. I just start riding the horse for the horse rather than beating him every jump. Hmm. What about your kids? Do are they tending? You know, I know you and I have talked about. You grew up on a horse and have that feel. Are your kids tending towards that? You know, I, I my oldest daughter from the time she could sit up, she wanted to be on a horse and would cry to be on a horse, and she's still that way. Uh, just talked to her this morning before we did this, and man, Dad, I need to be on a horse. This horse is doing this. This horse is doing that. Are your kids tending that way, or do you see it in each of them? Um, Chamberlain and my littlest one, my two girls, they love it. They, every day they catch their horses and their ponies and at least curry comb them off. Um, Chamberlain, she loves to ride and she, Mm -hmm. she kind of, you can see her imagination just go everywhere when she's out riding and it's a fun thing to see. She'll even go out in the pasture. My dad's old hill horse I bought from my mom when he passed away, uh, is a little black horse and he'll he's an ass like when i get on him he'll start throwing his head around can't hardly set him in the box and chamberlain she can go out there in the middle of the pasture climb up his legs and he'll put his head down and she'll climb up on him and he just walks around out of the pasture treats her like gold it's it's unbelievable to watch really but huxon he's a lot more like me you know i was i was horseback a lot with my dad when i was young and we would rope at morning and night and he had a lot of colts we were riding but Anytime I had the chance to go ride a dirt bike or a snowmobile or something like that, or go to the lake, I was gone. I would get my work done probably half ass and get it done twice as fast and be gone. But no, that's something I really like in Huxon. He's got a couple dirt bikes and he tears it up quite a bit and loves the snowmobile. He hears a motor and he's, he's into it. Cause it's not, you know, a lot of people, I don't. I see it go go either way with rodeo guys. Where, you know, I I never pushed. I was more of an athlete, not a rodeo guy. And my my girls, I had one one that went out for track. It was a really good track athlete, and just whatever they choose. But that rodeo, it it it's hard. It's hard. You've mentioned it all already. It's hard physically. It's hard as a family, um, you know, and can break your heart as a family. Do you have anything in the back of your mind, any of that hesitation? Come on, kids, pick, go to college, pick this, or are you good? Uh, you're probably like me. If they choose to do it, got to support them if they do it, right? Exactly. If if Huxon or Chamberlain, if any one of them want to do rodeo, it's great. I have a lot of connections and I can, you know, get them a little bit farther with just you know, my connections and knowing the people that I do, but if it's something else, heck yeah, I'm, I'm into it all the way with them. I Hux and he's been into a dirt bike for, I don't know, two years now. And I finally broke down and bought myself one just a couple of weeks ago. So I could go ride with him. You know, there's, uh, if he wants to ride bucking horses, heck yeah, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to take now. Um, but the, you there? Oh, there, there, yeah, yeah. Hey, I lost you for a second. I was concerned. There you go. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it is rodeo. I love rodeo, and the people that you meet, and the places you go, the opportunities that come your way. Uh, everything that I've ever done in my life has came from 
run my hand in a rigging. It really is. Grabbing a hold of my rigging is just like grabbing a hold of life. The the things that it's brought, uh, I've traveled the world. Um, I've had more opportunities than most 30-year-old guys. And it's it's a very humbling sport at the same time. And and so when you when you add all that together, I feel like I've I've lived an 80-year-old man's life and seen the things that an 80-year-old man has. And you know, I'm very thankful for that. And with, with winning this fifth world title, it's almost like a second chance at life. Um, it's uh, it's crazy how much I appreciate little things more all the time. And it's that just kind of boils it down for me. Yeah. I, uh, I like what you said about, you know, you, you have connections. This is another topic. I, I found it interesting in doing this work, um, more even rather than the radio work where we, you and I, you'd be on my radio show and we'd have eight minutes, you know, where we can sit and visit a recurring theme is music business. I taught, I, I did one of these with Ned Ledoux, uh, we talked about it. I've talked about it with other rodeo guys. I've talked about it with Sage Kimsey, actually. He hasn't been on this. But that when you say the connections we make, a guy, a kid like you from your dad, is there an advantage in the rodeo business? Yes. Not that you're favored because you're Louis Fields' boy, but you as from your, when you were this big, my girls are the same way. You learned the rules, the, the rules, so to speak. You learned how to travel. You learned who everybody was, how to handle media. That all contributes to being successful in that business. There is an advantage. For sure. If there's so, there's, I don't even know where to start with the advantages of growing up with the father that I did. Like you said, you know, when I started winning when I was 19 years old at Pro Rodeos, I'd go doing an interview and it didn't sound very good to me, but for a 19 year old kid, it was pretty impressive. And it's, you know, watching my dad and listening to my dad do the same thing. And then with traveling, I remember going to to rodeos with my dad when he was picking up and he would teach me how to pack a little cooler and save money. You'd eat snacks along the way and you wouldn't eat big meals because if you eat big meals, you get to the rodeo and you ride like a big, you know, so be thin and and same thing with fuel and we would go into hotel rooms and it one of my favorite things and favorite memories of my dad and we still do it today me and tilden and mason or whoever we're traveling with and we go in there and barter with them and see who can buy the room for the cheapest and if the guy gets the <laughs> cheapest so we pull around the hotel jump out of the van the next guy would go in hey out you know i'll 85 bucks Oh no, sir. 90, 87.50. You know, we would be breaking it down to to two bucks and 50 cents just so we didn't have to buy the next time. And just things like that, that my dad taught me uh, how to buy, you know, your tickets on your airlines and how to get the right credit card. So you get sky miles. So for before too long, you can fly for free. There's, there's so many different little things that guys, rookies, you know, and there's a difference between a rookie and a real rookie, but guys that are new to the sport, it's hard. I can't imagine starting from scratch and yeah. learning all the, uh, all the things to do yeah. and how to do it. It's because there's a lot. It, there's so much. There's more, there's more to be, I, I've talked to, to a lot of guys. Um, they're the, the world champion in rodeo. 
there's way more to it than just being the best one. I mean, rodeo is, you know, you got to learn to truck drive. You got all the things you just talk about go into being the world champion. It's, you got to be the best truck driver, the best barter guy to get a hotel room. So much, and and what it really, but in turn, it comes down to when you show up at seven o'clock on a Friday night in Pleasant Grove, Utah, you got to grab onto that rigging and be the best one there. But all of that plays into it. You mentioned it early. It all goes into that ride, everything that's happening in your life. You're exactly right. And it's, and at times it is chaotic. There's times that shoot, you'll be needing to make the short round at Cheyenne and you get stuck in Seattle on a connecting flight and it, you don't, you don't, they don't even give you a reason why, you know? And, and right then it's so hard to stay positive and say, well, Cheyenne short round, uh, you know, I'm not going to make it this year, but I've been Spanish fork tomorrow. I better show up with a good attitude, you know, like that, those little scenarios like that, when a guy is mentally strong enough to, to know that he was taken out of the race from an unknown reason or something out of your control, but you can still control your emotions and show up the next day as a champion. That says a lot about who you are. And I, and that's, and I, you know, world championships aren't easy to be won. Mm. Um, that, that's something too, that there's, there's people that, that, uh, you know, bring drama on to themselves. It's self-inflicted. It doesn't matter if it's with a girlfriend at home. It doesn't matter with, if it's a, a guy that cut you off at the truck stop to buy some hard boiled eggs, you know, that's a, when, when you, uh, engage in those situations to, to myself, I, 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 you know, relate everything to bareback ride. And, and if you're engaged in one of those, well, that's just like engaging in the bad draw or the, the, the judges talking crap about the judges and how horrible it is. Every time you get into one of those little negative tiffs or, you know, something that you don't even have control of and the outcome's not going to change and you're, you're jumping in on it. That's self-inflicted. That's not what champions do. That's not what the best bareback rider would do. And so I just went from a 92 point day to a 90 point day. Right. And you keep on that, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't got to live every day and compliment, make a difference in other people's lives and make them feel happy. It's easier to ride good when you get to the rodeo. I, I was thinking I get a lot of people that talk to me. This relates a little with my job. Um, I get a lot of people, I, I know my mom will talk about how, how's flying been? Oh, it's, I, how do you do that every week? You go through security, you have to go through security and you have to, oh, the airports are such a pain. And I, I don't even remember going through security. I don't, if, if you, it, it's like, yes, they, you know, they talk about, uh, those Mexican fighting bulls. And when they put them in a pen, they have to put a solid thing so they're not looking at people because they're worn out before the show starts. It's kind of that way. If you allow yourself to be overstimulated just in something that's a part of the, uh, the occupation, like travel, you'll be tired when you get there. And then you can't, every time, to me, this is my analogy, every time you get overstimulated or the situations you talk about, it takes a little from here and from here and it just keeps picking it away. And by the time you get to where you're supposed to be, you don't have any left to put into what you're supposed to be doing. Kind of? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, you, it, and one, like yourself, Lent, someone I respect very much. I love watching you. 
I, the barrel man thing and the funny man. No, I don't know. There's no one going to be ever like you again. I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> but it's going to be kind of forgotten, I guess. But, but they, uh, you know, like you, you get to the rodeo and you get to speak your emotions and you get to show your emotions with your body. And, you know, I know you can tell when you've had a crappy day and you've played into the stupid games that people want you to fall into and you get to the rodeo, the fans can tell a difference, you know, you know, maybe not as much as the fans, but the guys on the back of the buck and shoots that the hired hands, they can all tell what Flint showed up. And it's, it's the same thing as bareback riding. It ain't no different. Yeah, completely. Um, I, I talked to, I travel and work with uh, a guy in the hall of fame, Jerome, Jerome Robinson and uh, great bull rider, great contributed to the sport so much still is. And I don't know, you came up the other night we were in, in Phoenix and I mentioned I was doing this with you and, and he said, man, let me tell you. And Jerome doesn't say a lot. And he said, that Louis field was the greatest guy in the world. And he said, I don't know how many times I've called Casey Louie by accident. <laughs> and he was one of those guys. Uh, he's in that list of people who have said so much about your dad. I've never heard a crossword about your dad ever. And there's stories here and this, you know, and you've told me another one where he taught you how to pack a cooler and to, to have that, I would imagine there's almost a pressure, but almost this, there's a pride in living up to who your dad was, because I, I will say this, he, he's one of those, I have a, a few guys in my life that when I have a conversation with them, I walk away and go, man, I hope I was as nice to him as he was to me. And that's how it always was with your dad. That, what a great thing to have, uh, I guess, mostly in here about your dad. Oh, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's so humbling as growing up, my dad, you know, I didn't know him as a bareback rider. I didn't know him as a stock contractor. I knew my dad as the funnest loving guy in the whole wide world. Um, if we went to build fence, just like how you were talking, when you go through security, it's like this and it's, you get to the rodeo, you're happy, go lucky. You know, with my dad, we built fence. It was happy, go lucky. It didn't matter what we were doing in our hands, but like in here, it was all joy. And that's, that was my dad, you know, he would always tell me, especially when I first started rodeoing and me and Tilden were kind of living the high life. And, you know, he, he would always tell me and say, Hey, Casey, you know, it's your choice to wake up happy or grumpy. So just remember that. So don't be grumpy, be happy. <laughs> yeah. And he would always, I've, I've never been to a rodeo and someone hasn't come up and said, I met your dad. He was the most genuine guy ever. He remembered me or he remembered what was going on in my life from 10 years ago. And my dad, he just had that gift. Um, he was the most Christ-like guy I've ever met in my life. He, he was the most giving person in the world, and especially with his time. That's something that you don't ever get back. People donate, and you talk about these people that, oh, donate millions to these foundations and all that. But something that I that I take from my dad and watching him live his life in a way that I'm going to give back is just be happy and, and be Christ-like. You know, if you have an opportunity to, to, you know, make a difference in somebody's life, even if it's just smiling at them, do it. What's it going to hurt? It might feel awkward for a second, but 
you know, watching my dad go through life and everything that came his way was success and failure. I never, I never even, even when he got sick, I never even heard my dad say, why me? This sucks. This hurts. You know, it was always, how are you today? What's going on? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. You know, and he genuinely cared about each and every individual. One of his best friends, he always tells a story. He says, you know, I, I'm just a circuit guy. I've never been out of Utah, really rodeoing. And I went rodeoing with your dad. We went all over California. And then I think we flew over to Texas for two rodeos. And every person that we met, my, your dad introduced me to every single person. He did not want me left out. You know, he, I was just important as he was to every person that we ran into. And that's how he lived his life. You know, every single person, even before he, you know, he wouldn't ever have an opinion about anybody before he got to know him. He would always go up to him and talk to him genuinely and get to know them on his own personal level. And like something else nowadays that I, I see happening in my life a lot. And it's crazy too to look back on my life and the life that I've lived and the life that my dad lived. It's so crazy how similar it is. I'm telling, I'm not saying that I'm as nice a guy or Christ-like and can motivate people like my dad. Cause I can't, cause he was amazing, but you know, he's, he always told me, he said, you know, Casey, you're going to meet a lot of weird people and, and different people. But that doesn't mean they can't be your friends. They're still good hearted people. Look, look, look past the outside and look at where their heart is. He said, you're going to meet a lot of people with great hearts that just are different than us. And nowadays, some of my best friends are strangest sons of bees you'd ever meet in your life. <laughs> Tilden, <laughs> Tilden Hooper. Yeah, yeah. I get asked all the time, how do you travel with that long haired guy? Doesn't that annoy you? <laughs> yeah, I don't fall asleep with him driving. <laughs> Um, uh, hey, I got to, uh, when uh, I, I make rough notes of uh, a direction, things I want to talk about. And you, you said, you know, even when you were fixing fence, it was joy. It was, it's, it, what's really funny is I, I just wrote your dad's name, Lewis, never heard anything bad. And I wrote one word and you probably can't see it on here. The word was joy. When I, I thought about your dad and when I'd run into your mom and dad, and that's the word I wrote. And, and so Obviously, that's a very dominant trait in what he did for people. That's interesting to me. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I have a, I just thought of it. Ty Murray, uh, he has told me, I've heard this story four or five times because his big thing was that Louis Field was a damn cowboy. Because there, for people who know, I always say, uh, you know, there's a difference between a roper and a cowboy. Uh, bull rider and cowboy. Louie was a cowboy. Ty always tells a story of in Calgary and they had those weird slide gates in the front on the old shoots and they pulled into the arena. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Louie's got his hand run in and this horse hits the gate and it opens and this horse bolts to the chute in front of him. And he said, Louie's expression never changed. He just laid flat back on the horse like this, horse stops in the next one. He sits up and goes, we just going to take him here, boys? Just like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't even, oh, so, uh, anyway. Uh, but you and I talked, and you mentioned it earlier. You know, you, um, you're hurt, you lost your dad. 
you know, the, 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 you those couple years or that year in there, you had kids, but you told me that, and I can, I can imagine where he was the guy that you'd go to a rodeo or come home and he's the guy you called or before you left, he's the guy you called. That took a while for you to get back like where you have talked about you needed to be without him. You needed to adjust all that without him, didn't you? For sure. And, you know, growing up and when I left to go rodeo and, you know, at the end, at the end of the weekend on Sunday, I'd call him and it's an, it's a special time for me still. Like I'll be coming home from a rodeo on Sunday night, one thirty in the morning. I just get overwhelmed with emotions and, and miss that moment. But like I could call him after four bareback rides over the weekend on a Sunday night and he'd be laying in bed with my mom and I'd be like, well, I did this over here in Parowan and I did this here in Elk City and then I went to Ellensburg and this happened and then in the short round, you know, I kept on feeling that kind of the same thing. Well, geez, why don't you just turn your left toe out and hold your free arm over here and fix it? Like, <laughs> no big deal, dummy. What are you thinking? You know, should have called after the first one. <laughs> I could have fixed it, you know. And any anything in rodeo bareback ride i could call him and it was a quick fix i at the nfr he could honestly i i could go out and be 88 points and i'd get done and slap hands with him across the front row right there and and that's a cool little situation cool little thing that i've had in life with my dad right there and and then but like the next night he could be like hey you know last night you were 88 if if you just kind of like change your shoulders a little bit. And instead of waiting to tuck your chin for a split second, tuck it a little bit earlier and start your spur stroke sooner, you'll be 90. And it was just like that. And it was like, if, if I heard it from him, it was like, Oh yeah, I can do that. And I could change it. Well, after I lost him, you know, I would go for a month, not riding that way I wanted to. And I would ask Bobby Mode, I would ask Tilden Hooper. I'd ask Will Lowe. I'd ask my brother who, you know, it was very close to me, just like my dad. And, you know, it wasn't the same. And I went through 15, 16, 17, fighting to find that fix, fight, fighting to find advice in my writing. And looking back now, it was, it was not that smart of me. I, I, I kind of forgot, you know, who I was. I kind of forgot who Casey field was when he got on a bareback course. I forgot that I won on every horse that nobody else could win on. I forgot that, you know, when I show up to the rodeo, the other bareback riders are already beat that they're fearing me. I for, I didn't carry that, you know, spazazz that, that feeling with me. I didn't even have that when I got to the rodeos and now, you know, 19, it started clicking. I started having fun I wasn't worried about what was going on on at home with my kids. I knew I had faith in my wife that she could handle everything, even though when she hits the barn with the skid steer and almost takes the whole thing down, the, you know, I didn't fear. Hypo- I didn't. Hypothetically, hypothetically, yeah, yeah. if that were to happen. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't worry about that at all. I didn't, you know, I miss my dad. I miss those phone calls and I miss advice. Don't get me wrong at all. I, wish I had it every day, but you know, I forgot that I was the best bareback rider. I forgot that I'm the fiercest competitor. And I, and I don't mean that in a cocky way at all. I mean that very humbly, but 
in order to be the very best, you have to speak the very best and you have to believe that you are the very best. I tell everybody, you know, I'm going to be a six time world champion. And the more I say it, the more it's believable, the more it's going to happen, the, the, the more obtainable it is. You know, the, when people say, Casey, you're the best that there's ever been. I didn't hear that for a little while. I, I Maybe people were saying it, but I, I wasn't comprehending it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, thank you so much. I'm, thank you. Yes, watch this. You know, I'm watch what I'm doing at home, and then when I get to the rodeo, you know, it's gonna blow your mind. But it's it's a crazy thing that life brings. It really is. That's not. I get tired of hearing that the guys to be in this sport, a bull rider, bareback rider, you got to have that confidence, or your career won't last. And I get tired of people calling it cocky. It's confident. It's a it's a mindset you have to have. Uh, I have to have a, a, a similar mindset in a way when I step out there. I tell my girls, I, I tell my, my oldest daughter, Shelby, a lot. Uh, say, hey, you stick your chest out and remember who the hell you are. I tell her that all the time. It's not a cockiness. You got to have that or you won't survive in this business. You won't. You won't. You've got to be, you know, you got to think as yourself as invincible. You have to. Yeah. You know, you're, it's, it's a tough sport, not just in the arena, everything that we were talking about. If you don't have confidence buying your plane ticket, if you don't have confidence in driving your truck and trailer, how can you have confidence in your barrel racing when you're driving 10 hours and all you're worried about is your truck and trailer. But if you're confident and you can subconsciously drive that truck and trailer and dream of being the very best barrel racer, when you get there, hmm. it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, still relating to your dad, but a different topic a little bit. I do ask people, Hey, which direction should I go with Casey field? Which to uh, all my guests, what do you think I should talk about? Well, one guy I work with Clint Atkins, he's an, one of our announcers used to be a really good bareback rider. And he said, I need, I want to know Casey's thoughts. And, and he watched his dad as a little kid, the difference in the horses and the Riggins because they play hand in hand, so to speak, no pun intended, um, about what Louie rode and rode with compared to what you rode, ride and ride with. Big difference now in all of that. Huge difference. And I, I'm really close with a lot of my dad's old buddies that are, you know, in their 60s and 70s. And we talk rodeo and we talk what the difference is. The worst horse I got on at this year's NFR was by far the best course my dad had at the nfr in 1990 Mm -hmm. you know maybe only one of them and the 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 style of horses that they rode they didn't break over and kick and go like this they didn't tip over and go downhill like almost every one of them do these days and so that flat rigging when your horse is going like this bucking across there and doesn't break over like this you never see pictures of horses straight up and down with a bareback rider sitting perfect chest out chin down toes out from the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. If you do, they're sitting straight up and they their knees are wide out. And just it was a completely different style. It was a completely different set of horses. And nowadays, the horsepower is unbelievable. Like, when I first started rodeo, my dad would tell me, you know, you don't need to go to 100 rodeos. Go to 50 or 60 rodeos and just stay fresh for when you get the good horses that you can make count. And nowadays, like two years ago in 19, I only went to 24 rodeos. And every time I showed up, I was the best guy there. And I knew it physically. I knew it mentally. And I felt the best. And 
out of those 24 horses, I don't think I scored under 85 or 86 points. Huh. And so, I mean, if you stay fresh and you stay good and you stay mentally sound and you can show up and ride the same every time, you're going to win almost every time. There's that many good horses. Big. They're bigger. The, the, the biggest thing I see, and, and we had this discussion, uh, and it's got to do something to career length compared to, you know, Clint Corey, he rode forever. And you look at the videos and your dad and the horses bucked really well. But I mean, they're 500 pounds lighter than, I'll pick one, Virgil. The great world champion bucking horse. I mean, they are, they're breeding them. You guys are getting on huge horses now. That makes a difference. A big difference, huge difference. They, well, now, guys, too, you know, bareback riding, it's not about, you know, rough, gruff, tough guy that can ride the bucker out of the ranch. These guys are all athletes. Everybody trains to be a better bareback rider. Everybody that makes the NFR puts a lot of time in at the gym and physically getting stronger, faster, better. And the horses have done the same thing. The, the breeders, the guys that have seen great genetics in horses and the pedigree, they have figured it out. They have bred those horses. And like myself, the three horses, the three horses that, uh, the three horses that I got on at the American, I mean, I'm, more sore than I have been in a long time because those three horses were the real deal. Every, all three of them were really strong, really big, had some moves, and I needed a week off. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, these horses, these day and age, if if you went to a hundred a hundred rodeos for ten years and you could last that long these days, this day and age on this type of horse. You've got to be the toughest, wiriest, best built human I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Physically, you just can't take the abuse. There was a, the United States wrestling coach for the Olympics. He did a study on all of his wrestlers. And when they had like a tile match or a real important match, they would test their body on how long it would take to come back to hundred percent after that match. And they needed 38 days for their body to 100% come back from that wrestling match, a championship match, to where their body was to peak performance. And so in the rodeo world, bull riding, any rough stock event, you're breaking your body down, you're breaking your body down, you're breaking your body down. Over that 38-day period of time, you might only be 25% on that 38th day. And so you really have to, myself, and with my rodeo career and the injuries that I've had, You've really have to pay attention to your body. You have to know the difference between being hurt and being injured is, you know, how far can I push it before it's too far? You have to know your body's limits. And it's so important. And it's in the bucking horses too. I know when Virgil, when he comes into the chute, you can see he'll have his tongue hanging out and walk in there. You know, you're going to have one of those days where he just circles out there to the left or goes straight and just, getting four feet on the front end and kicking over his head and just floating through the air like a marshmallow. But then there's days when he comes in the chute and he's, and you can't hardly put your rigging on him. And he's looking at you like you dumbass. You think you can ride me, you know, whatever. And he's kind of rearing up a little bit and he's fighting the neck rope. They can't get the flank set. And then he goes out there and he has that swapping in day. That's he's not feeling good. It's, you know, he needs a break and it's just like me. 
you can tell when I go out there and I need a break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my break, my breaks need to be longer all the time. As long as I'm on my, and he'll appreciate this that I bring up is hey, he brought he had two topics: the horses and the riggins, and they're different. You sit up different, and, and it. It, like you say, it, it really fits the new horses better. Here's the other thing I said. Casey's not, he's going to be diplomatic on this because he's still out there. He's like, man, you got to ask Casey about the judging at the NFR. He was 78 points one night and he got screwed. <laughs> I talked, I texted you the night. You're at the NFR and I, and I understand you can tiptoe around this. But... You're at the NFR one night. They announce your score, and a friend of mine was watching on TV and said, look at Casey's reaction to the score. The thousands of horses he's been on. When they're showing him on TV and he's walking back to the shoots and they announce the score and he stops and goes, you know, he knows he got screwed. And I texted you that night, 78? question mark just something you gotta you just gotta handle huh uh, there but i there was a lot of nights i couldn't follow what was going on yeah and that's that was me too i honestly like i should have had two re-rides coming to the to the seventh round i should have already had two re-rides and then in the and it was in the seventh round you're talking about when i was 78 i, I you know i I said a few things, but I said it with a smile on my face. Just, <laughs> you, know, the key. <laughs> but, you know, I, I played into that and that's uh, round six and seven. I rode like a complainer. I rode like, you know, somebody that felt like they were mistreated, you know, or it's not fair. Screw that. It happens to everybody, you know? And, and I had that mentality. And just like I said earlier, you know, I'm invincible. When I get to the rodeo and I get in that buck and shoot, there ain't nothing that can touch me. There's nothing that's going to phase me at all. And that's come back to the round eight. And it was like, you son of a bitch, you screw me. Watch this. I'm going to make it so plain as day. It's going to, it's, I'm going to smear shit in your face pretty much. I'm sorry to say that, but watch this. You know, I'm going to make it just plain and simple where you can't mess this up. Keep your pen, pencil there and mark what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then that's, that's how I come to the, the last three nights, of the NFL. Yeah. It was spectacular. Anyway, uh, good way to, that's a great lesson for your young kids. I, I've, you know, my girls are in timed events. It's like, there's a solution. <laughs> that's it. It's a timed event. You're fine. You know, judged events are judge events like gymnastics. You make it obvious that you're the winner and they'll judge you the right way. So, uh, yeah, that good. Good answer, though, by the way. Straightforward. Um, hey, what well, you brought this up real quick. Bareback riders, the kind of guys. I, it, I think it's shifted. It used to be the bareback riders were the wild partiers. The bronc riders were starched up. I always think of Ryan Mapston, back in my day, classy guy. So you had that room of bareback riders, the saddle bronc riders, bull riders were there. I don't know if that's the same. What would, for people watching that maybe aren't as familiar with all the rodeo events. When you're in that pen, you know me, Calgary, I always came out in your guys' area and sat because I just enjoy bareback riders. There's something about that, that sense of humor. What is that demographic, that personality as a whole of bareback riders? Bareback riders, and it's there's so many uh, tough competitors now, and – to sit down and look in the locker room and 
you know, there's 15 different guys in there and you, you look around the room and you kind of, I shouldn't say this, but judge each person, uh-huh. the, the variety of people is nuts. <laughs> I mean, you, you got me and Tilden who are sitting in the corner at the American. I'm rubbing my neck before the short round. I look over at him and he's doing the same thing. I'm like, dude, Look at everybody else. They're doing jumping jacks, push-ups, <laughs> waiting for the short round. Me and you are over here rubbing our neck. That tells you kind of what we're about, you know. But it's you got Clayton Biglow, who's this cute little Portuguese kid who's a cowboy, can team rope, and you know he's physically fit and he dreams of it, and you know real soft spoken. Then you got Tim O'Connell, who's on the back of the shoots and he's spurring the metal slats and get out of his way, and you know in the locker room he has that same mentality. It, the the mentality and the the personalities in the bareback riding room they all show they all have one thing in common and that is that that attitude of you know i am invincible i am i am a bareback rider i am i'm a tough sucker i am physically fit i'm a winner you know that they have that confidence you have you have to in the bareback ride and then you got you know like Oren larson that guy you know he just he has his cup of coffee and <laughs> Oh, hey, Phil. Oh. Oh, oh, for sure. Oh, for but, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can, you get in the buck and shoot, and everybody, you, they have that same that same craving, that same drive. And the bareback riding, like you said, you know, event by event, the bulldoggers, the big, kind giants, the, the team ropers, the calf ropers, they all kind of have their own personas, per se. And the bareback riding through my career, I, I seen it. I seen guys that would go out and party every night before the rodeo. They would they would get to the rodeo and have a time of their life. And then, you know, there was guys that were all business that showed up an hour before and drinking protein shakes and doing all this. And, you know, it's I've seen it both ways all the way through my career, and it has changed. Um, the bareback riding nowadays, I think, is your more of your – you're elite UFC fighters. They, they train really hard. Everything is to be a better, better bareback rider where back in the day, you know, at the, the beginning of my career per se, there's only four or five guys that seen it that way. And everybody else were, they had a job at home or they had cattle at home and the rodeo was just a bonus. But nowadays the 15, 20 bareback riders, it's their career. And they all, they all treat it that way. I think I hang out with you guys too. Cause I always wanted to be a bareback rider. <laughs> Back in my day, I chose otherwise. I did okay. <laughs> the the personality the bareback riders have, it's kind of dry. You know what you're going to get when you walk up. And I, that's the same thing when Flint walks up. You know what you're going to get, so you better have your guns loaded. That's right. That's right. Hey, real quick, uh, man. T- speaking of family and what and what we've we've talked about it all with your mom and all your kids and your dad, man, your brother. This past earlier, or what's it been? Six months? How long ago? He uh, he's a pilot for one. Shad Shadrack, yep. great guy, love Shad. But uh, flying some people around and uh, later down in the mountains. I mean, yeah, bad deal. That wasn't very long ago. When was that? That was in September of last year. I was in Phillipsburg, Kansas, out in the middle of a cornfield. Remember it like it was yesterday. But uh, yeah, Shad, my brother, who is a very knowledgeable pilot he's very skilled uh, he goes up to alaska every year and gets his uh bush planing license updated and can land it anywhere and 
I've flown a lot and a lot of different little planes and I've always asked Shad, you know, Hey, you know, we should, probably shouldn't be up here in the mountains right now, but if we were to go down, what are you going to do? You know? And he's like, well, I don't know, turn around into the wind, set it down in the trees. I'll don't worry, you know, softest landing. I can find it. <laughs> and, uh, so he, he's flown for shoot six, seven, eight years now. And I have more confidence in him than any other pilot I've ever had. Just he's got ice running through his veins. Nothing rattles him. And it, he had some friends, uh, Betsy Mescal, she started the Betty beds, the zip up bed comforters and stuff. And her and Jaslyn are great friends. And they were joking around, you know, we've never been in a little plane and they have all this on video. They ha Shad has a YouTube channel and they actually have the whole flight videoed all the way until they hit the ground. And, uh, they go out and, you know, Gentry's like, well, you know, what happens? We're going to crash. He's like, I won't crash. I will take care of you guys. I promise you. All of you will live if we were to crash. And this is all on video. Wow. And they go up in the mountains and it, his plane had just got out of annual six hours. He'd only had one flight before this flight after his annuals, after they go through the whole plane and redo everything and going up through the mountains and the engine didn't die, but he lost power. He couldn't throttle it up. I didn't know what was going on. So he circled back into the wind. And I promise you, if it would have been one minute sooner or later, there would have been nowhere to land. They were up in the UN of the mountains, big, big mountains and tried to come back around to the lake and, and hit a beach. And then there was about a hundred people on the beach fishing. And so he tried to find a dirt road and banked it the other way. And the whole time that this is going on, he's telling everybody, Hey, everybody calm down. We're going to be crashing, tighten your seatbelts. Everybody stay relaxed. The more relaxed you can be, the better off we'll be. And circling around and they got about 30 30 yards from the the dirt road he was aiming for and landed in the sagebrush and like when you're crashing a plane you want to come in like this say this is the ground and you want to come in like this and then you go up and then you set it down like that and shad come up like that and set it down and the the end of the plane hit first like this and then it set it down like that and the kid the two twins in the back of the plane didn't have a scratch on them and then the next row jaslyn and betsy were the next ones and jaslyn had a broke arm and got a concussion and and betsy had some broken ribs and had a concussion and then the two in the front shad broke his back and gentry the the guy that was co-pilot broke his leg and and fractured his back his wasn't quite as bad as shad's uh now but before that they did they didn't think gentry was even alive and so betsy was holding his legs were trapped in the plane and shad was down in between the two seats and couldn't move um his legs were numb he didn't know why he didn't know if he was paralyzed um and then the two people that got to him first were paramedics that were at the lake and happened to be fishing that day. Wow. So they got life flight and an ambulance there pretty quick and life flight at Gentry first. Cause he didn't look the best and then came back and got shad. And my wife, in the meantime, she calls me and said, I don't know what's going on. Shad wrecked his plane. Um, I don't know what's going on. And then, uh, sorry, <laughs> but he, uh, he, the son of a bitch FaceTime me. <laughs> no he's kidding. In, he's in the, in the helicopter being life lighted and he's FaceTiming me. Hey, you know, I don't know what's wrong. I can't feel my legs, but I'm alive. I'm like, all right. He said, you stay and win the rodeo and, and come and see me when you can. So it was, it was wild. <laughs> oh, wow. I, 
but I can't wait for him to fly again. Yeah. I'll tell you that. He's doing good though. He's he's he, he would there would be no problem if I know he could do it a second time. Even yeah. better. Yeah. He's doing good though now. He's really he's been doing a lot of physical therapy and stuff, hasn't he? Oh, he does every kind of therapy you could ever imagine. He's continually researching, trying to get better. He still has no bowel movements. He can't feel his hamstrings and his calves. But like he did 240 burpees two weeks ago and he's stronger than he ever has been and more motivated than he ever has been. And there's, you know, myself, how we were speaking about my dad and how he left a, a, you know, an impression on pretty much everybody he ran into my life. I kind of feel like I've been given this opportunity as a rodeo cowboy to travel the country and the world and, and smile and, and show people the Western culture and the lifestyle and the things that I love and the life that I love, uh, you know, life is important to love and Shab, you know, he's been, he could have made the NFR as a team roper pretty dang easy. And he chose to go on a, an LDS mission to Buenos Aires, Argentina for two years. And then he came home and started a business right off the bat. And, He's a very successful businessman. He's very, very smart. He's he's a very intelligent guy. I, I got the talent and he got the intelligence is what I tell everybody. <laughs> but he, uh, oh, I think this is a way that God has in, in plan for him to make an example in more people's lives and be able to reach more people and be an, a, a strong example. And, and the people that have already told me that Shad changed their lives, I, me and you, we have a really good friend who we didn't see there for a long time and heard that Shad got in a plane crash and thought me and Tilden were in there with him and he's back and he's, it's changed his life and he's, he's understanding how important life is. And it's just crazy little stories that I hear all the time of how Shad is already motivating people. And it's only been eight months. So, you know, let him figure out his body more of what's going on and what's going on in his life. And he's going to, you're going to start to hear Shad, filled that name be spoken pretty loudly a lot more than casey filled huh. well tell him i said hello i haven't seen him <laughs> in a while so i lo- always love seeing him uh, on the stage at the south point or yeah well tell him give him our best here uh, I, I, w- I miss seeing him yeah um okay before before i let you go free ad time you're wearing a ball cap you are Speaking of, listen, you can give Shad a lot of credit for being intelligent. You're no dummy, Casey Field. You're no dummy. <laughs> Tell us about you. Uh, you have your own, and, and it's a, a very trending thing. And I don't mean trending. I mean that in a positive way, legitimately trending. Uh, CBD uh, products that help help you recover a lot of uses for them. And you, you have kind of your own thing going, don't you? Yep, I do. Yeah. So it's crazy how it all came about too. Um, my little boy, Huxon, he has that chronic asthma. I was leaving to the NFR one night and Steph was headed to the ER with him. And I was like, man, this they, we've had him on every kind of steroid. The doctors up here want him on and he was changing who he was. He wasn't the same kid. So I had enough of it. And that night I went over to the dispensary to the pot shop and got Huck some CBD. And I had done a lot of studying and kind of knew what I was getting into before I give Hucks this CBD and instantly he started to calm down and his chest started to relax and he could breathe. And so I had a testimony right there. So I came home with 
um, an idea to go to the, the successful family here in the state of Utah that have built a couple businesses and sold them for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I've tried been doing business with them since I was 18 and a sponsorship or business, whatever I could do with these guys. And finally, uh, I went to them and I was like, Hey guys, I got an idea. We need to have a CBD we need to start a CBD product and they just kind of chuckle. Yeah. Well, we've been studying it for three years, you know, let me talk about it and, and come back tomorrow. And so I came back the next day and he said, all right, you know, we want to start a business. This is, it's been three years. We've been studying it. The projections are looking really, really good. Um, this company I'm talking about, my, my partner, he, they bottle for 25 other CBD companies at this time. So he has all the formulations and knows all the ingredients that everybody else has. So we kind of just stepped it up a little bit and created the liquid gold, uh, power pro and it's powerful professional and the product will sell itself. And we, ha we haven't had a whole lot of money to spend on marketing. We're, we're growing it an old farmer way, the business. And that's just by word of mouth. Um, I, I got kicked in the head, had a brain bleed, brain injury, right. When we were formulating all these new products and, I got knocked out, kicked in the head. I couldn't see anything. I could just see the outline of a human. I was puking for 14 hours straight. I was supposed to be in ICU for at least a week. Um, my wife got there uh, the day after the injury happened. I started taking my CBD. I went to sleep for eight hours, woke up, uh, stood up. I could see fine. My balance was perfect. Walk to the shower. Here comes the doctor freaking out. You can't be standing. You can't be standing. He goes through the concussion test and they let me go in four days. So after that, I drove home and Shad flew down and drove me home after four days of being in ICU. And so the testimonies that I have about my product are, are close to me and strengthening to, for my product. But the other testimonials that we have about my product changing their lives, uh, little kids that are having seizures that they can't control. Um, we finally, our product is changing their lives. It's changing their families' lives. Um, and then in the rodeo world, my warming lotion, almost every rough stock guy uses my warming lotion. Cody Webster, Frank Newsome, in your world of the PBR, yeah. love um, and it's been fun. It, it's given me confidence in my everyday life to, you know, now we've been in business for three years and I've learned business and we've got some really cool deals going on and we are growing and uh, other businesses that I'm, you know, learning about and stepping into. It, it's helping my bareback ride and just like how we were talking and it gives me confidence in life and to learn business and know that I have something after rodeo already established is is a huge blessing in my life. Uh, it, and it's so much fun to help people. This product, it, it, I can genuinely say that it changes people's lives and it helps people. And to give back to rodeo, you know, we talked before this, the show started to sponsor this podcast and I would love to sponsor Flint, my good friend who <laughs> we've been buddies forever. And if I could help you grow and help your podcast grow in the, in the sport of rodeo or in the Western culture, that's, that's leaving the sport better than I, than I started in it. And that's, that's kind of something that I I've really embraced with this business. Well, what you just did is something I deal with, with young guys. I had a conversation with a kid and his mom a few days ago and talking about sponsors. I say, you know what? Don't, don't get sponsors. You need to endorse a product. You're, you're not wearing a patch. You're not, this is what you just did with your business is you know that you can, from your heart, speak in a way that talks about the product. Uh, it, it, 
You did more than talking about your product. You just gave a lesson on how passionate you should be about endorsing a product, even though it's your business. That's how everyone should be in this business. If you're putting your name on something, there's a reason you're putting your name on it because you truly believe in it. And I would believe in that. I'm 53 years old. I hurt, Casey. I hurt. I fall down in the street. I I dance too much. I used to get tired. Now I just hurt. So I, I see an opportunity. There, there you go. <laughs> oh, I'd love to help you. I promise you'll feel better too. But, you know, like you said, it, it, especially the young kids coming up into the mm-hmm. sport, you know, your smile, who you are, that's your brand, you know, but the brands that you wear, you got to be very self-conscious of, of the actions that you play and the way that you represent those brands. I've been able to, to represent some awesome brands throughout my, my career and still do. Um, and that's something else too with this business is, you know, Polaris Ranger. I've been with those guys for 12 years now and I love representing Polaris. I, I bleed blue. I ride Polaris snowmobiles, four wheelers, you know, I use them every day and I represent that brand cause I love it. But I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, this is look at everybody look how much I'm building Polaris. Look, look at the, it might not be as big as somebody else or a marketing team, but I'm bringing a lot of awareness to the brand Polaris. And I was like, man, you're wasting 10 years of being in the limelight in front of people to be able to wear your own brand. And so that's another reason I started power pro is like, why aren't you building something that will benefit you long after your career? And so that's another reason it was like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> go. I started something on my own also. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good thought. Good thought. Listen, uh, you are the, I, I want to tell you, I, I showed you my little note page earlier. It's real official too. It's, you know, a lot of good stuff. Mine's usually on a bar napkin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of what it is, but I want to know, I want you to know that the, the true sign of someone who has been great to talk to is when you look down and you have a lot left that we could have talked about, but we'll just save it for next time. You know, that's, that's always a good sign. I do want to say, and I always try to end with a thought and these, um, you, I will point young people to this podcast because you have said a lot of things. I think the guys in here with me would agree. You've said a lot of things that apply to a lot of young people. It's you gave a motivational talk and didn't even realize it. You make me want to be better. And that I said it about your dad that I always wish that when I walked away, I always said, man, I hope I was as good to him as he was to me. And just now that we're almost done talking, you have the same trait that you, we always want to make people better. And I feel like anytime I've been around you and seen people around you, you make people better. And that's a trait that was passed on for one, your mom, you know, I've given you a bad time about your mom forever. She, your mom's one of the most beautiful ladies inside and out that I've ever met in my life. And so they've passed on great traits to you and we appreciate that. Thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment about both of them and, and about me too. It, it's, it's just life. Just got to make the best of it. <laughs> That's a good way to end, buddy. Casey Field, five-time world champ. He'll, he'll get six or seven of them or eight. And a future, for sure, Hall of Famer. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you, Flint. I appreciate it.